start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. We are talking to Aaron Rado, the author of the Raven's Daughter series, here at LostCon 48. Ta-da! Hi, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Tales of the Raven's Daughter. Tales of the Raven's Daughter. And it's, uh, we've had you on the show once already. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we are at the convention in Los Angeles, California, uh, the Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society. And um, yeah, it's quite a crowd. <laughs> He's being sweetly sarcastic. But um, I'm, I'm glad that we're all here and we have a chance. Yeah, it's a lightly attended convention. It's, it is a lightly but attended convention. It's still bouncing back from the pandemic, you know, and uh, it's it's better than last year. We've got more people in here than last uh-huh. year, and they're filtering back in. But, you know, it's it's book fans, scientists, and old fogies. But you're booked for a number of other conventions on the North American continent this year. What I've decided to do, my work is um, short fiction. I'm basically reinventing the dime novel, which I think is a really fun way to explain it. Um, I've, I've written long fiction, I've written full-length fiction, and it's, it's a wonderfully fulfilling experience. But when I approached Tales of the Raven's Daughter, I made up my mind very early on that I wanted to work in um, short fiction. And these aren't even quite novella size. Novella is usually 20,000 words. Um, the six adventures in Tales of the Raven's Daughter clock in around 18,000, 19,000. So they're even short for novellas. But uh, as Jean has been kind enough to note, they, they pack a full epic fantasy punch. You get everything you want out of, um, out of epic fantasy. Characters, worlds, and a good bit of snarkiness. I think that's what we see in fantasy. Well, the the books really do have a, a a certain gravitas to them. I mean, they are short, but they don't feel like they're, you know, they don't feel like they're throwaway. They feel like they have a very strong foundation and uh, a, a strong backstory in the environment and 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 all of that that makes you really makes it really easy to invest in uh, in the characters and what's going on. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's got a solid foundation in mythology, but not the Norse or Celtic that, that we have come to expect from modern fantasy, but Basque, which is highly underappreciated and underexplored. Well, the reason I did that, um, when, I, when I began this series, I've literally written... 120,000 words in six months. I mean, I don't really know how that happened. The edited version is, a, is right about uh, 114.5, but this has just absolutely flowed right out of me. 
and I do think the discipline of short fiction helps to keep the stories moving. I outlined all six adventures, and then I, I forbade myself from writing them until everything was outlined, so I knew my, over, my overall art for the um, uh, series. But um, I chose the Basque area because I was literally starting from a blank slate. I had no idea where to begin. And uh, my editor of my long fiction, um, a gentleman, Pat Labruto, who was senior editor of Doubleday for years and senior editor at Bantam and Ace, he said in all his years of editing fantasy, he'd never seen anything based on Basque culture or Basque mythology. And that's, of course, the region of um, uh, northeastern Spain near the Bay of Biscay at the base of the Pyrenees. And one of the um, models for creating my main character, my girl, Alarise, was actually Etienne Navarre from Ladyhawk. Thank you. I, I was just about to go there. Yes. My, my, my mental image of, of these people were, you know, uh, the two of them, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer and, and Rutger Hauer, but, but the roles were switched. Yeah, my girl is uh, uh, a little diminutive. She's not short or small, or, uh, but, you know, she's not exactly petite, but she's certainly not, you know, She-Ra or, you know, She-Hulk or anything like that at all. She was a former uh, tavern mistress, and then she was sexually assaulted and driven away, and she winds up dead in the first three scenes. And um, I always but like, what happens to her after that? Yeah, makes say, for yeah, an interesting story. This would be a much shorter book otherwise. Otherwise, right? And she <laughs> discovers she is a realm walker because I needed to take fans someplace new. And let's face it, guys, we have been to every tavern and tomb and castle and dungeon and forest in the universe. And I wanted to do a fresh blank canvas because I hate tropes. I hate. Uh, yeah, we've got. Yeah, we've done. We've done. Right? We've done the fantasy pub crawl. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. with the plucky bard in the corner and the thief ruling his charisma, you know, uh-huh. and dex throws to make sure that he can steal your purse. It's like stop it already. Just shoot me in the head. So I chose the underrealm. I chose the etherrealm is what I called it. And so uh, circling back to the whole Etienne Navarre, um, I give my girl, my sweet little blonde girl, black scale male armor. And so she becomes sort of a female version of, like you said, Michelle Pfeiffer in Etienne Navarre's armor. And it's just such a striking juxtaposition. You always expect a warrior woman to be usually a brunette, but, um, uh, or in the case of Red Sonia, you, you know, red hair, but uh, a sweet little blonde in scale male. That's, that's kind of an interesting visual. Um, and so awfully appealing, was, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she she works it. Um, then I throw in the best gender fluid character ever, a character named Odwin, based on Shakespeare's puck. I love Odwin. Odwin is just such a fun. I want I want a hangout party with Odwin. Odwin's awesome. People have been asking me for a whole new subset of Odwin stories. That could happen. Actually, it? yes, it could. Because um, while I publish, uh, uh, self-publish these little individual novellas, which are really fun and, and look really great, and please stop by my website, Erin Rado Author, E-R-I-N-R-A-D-O Author.com, and got some really appealing um, covers on that. If a publisher picked up the collection to do a bound collection of novels, then I could write an extra odd one story as an Easter egg Ooh. To, to throw on in there. 
And so um, Puck wasn't my only uh, Shakespearean derivative. Uh, I also took Oberon and Titania and made them into the rulers of the realm, the King of Shadows and the Raven Queen. And just as dysfunctional a marriage. And absolutely as dysfunctional a <laughs> marriage, because why should these people be happy? Uh, un, un, you know, unsettled people are much more interesting to read. Um, and so they both want my girl as their champion because she's a born realm walker. They're not born all that often. And if you think, there's a lot of duality going on in Tales of the Raven's Daughter. So it's easy to think of the King of Shadows as the ego and the Raven Queen as the id. And um, even Odwin, who's, Odwin is just so much fun. Odwin will present as a teen male and then turn into a maiden just to blow you a kiss. And then right back into a guy again to crack a joke. In fact, he's much more snarky when he presents as a male than, um, than as a female. Hi. I'm saying hi to a friend in the back, Martin Young, who was a dear, dear friend of my, uh, my wonderful late husband and actually helped a heck of a lot in this series. And I gave Martin a shout out before. And um, Martin is one of those friends who doesn't pull punches when he reads your stuff. And he read the first draft of uh, the first story, and he said, "Sorry, I got to stop. You're just you're you don't want me to go into all that. I think it's important." Um, but um, his critique was spot on because he is that highly intelligent reader who's incredibly well read. And I had uploaded too much backstory in the front because I hadn't quite mastered that short fiction tempo yet. I was brand new to the, to the medium, but taking his notes into account and then getting a feel for it really helped everything move along from there. The uh, first year, I think, of um, Sci-Fi Radio's recordings for The Event Horizon, uh, we interviewed a guy named Ray Palmer. No, second year, I think. Was he the, um, the, the new, was it New Pulp? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ray Palmer books might be an interesting uh, avenue of pursuit. He's, he's they, an award-winning author himself, or, or award-nominated author himself, and uh, he might be interested in taking a look at your Does stuff. Does he do fantasy? You well, we don't know. We have to. I don't know. Let's catch Let up see. with if you're if you're a publisher. <laughs> an indie publisher interested in a, a completed novella series and wanting to continue a, a, an already, you know, ah, a mecha- no quantity. Mechanoid Press. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't say so fantasy it's like, to me. Yeah, well, but he has stories about, you know, kaiju and all sorts of I guess kaiju are essentially fantasy, especially if you look at the physics of the thing. Well, being being realistic, I mean, come on, nobody knows who I am yet, and so what I've yet. done yet, and so as Susan alluded, um, I've put together a list of shows, and I've been accepted to Comic Con International. Yay! That just came through. Boy, was I just floating near the ceiling when I, I got know, that acceptance. I know so, it was like watching a you know. Oh yeah, it was just out of body experience when I got the yes on that one. Uh, next weekend, I will be at the Los Angeles Comic Con. That's 100,000 people. And then I have been accepted to several major Comic Cons. I am working on a schedule of 28 shows for next year. 
which is literally half the year at a show oh somewhere. Oh my God, when are you going to sleep in your own bed? Yeah, right. Well, I've been on. I've been a road warrior before when I was building my art business. Mm. But my my thought was when I was creating this series, um, I modeled it after The Witcher, which arguably has been a huge success. And The Witcher began as short stories and then got picked up for video games. And if I want to get noticed by the industry and noticed by uh, video game producers, Comic-Cons are the way to go. And what I love about Comic-Cons, and WonderCon also in Anaheim, that's a division of Comic-Con International, um, these, these shows support indie authors and artists in their artist alley or small press pavilion. And whereas, as we were chatting uh, at your panel yesterday, a, a booth on the main floor of Comic-Con International is four grand, um, a table in the small press is only 650 bucks. And that allows people like me to jury in, and they accepted me, which is just fantastic. And it gives us a, a big, big venue. And the fact that I'm working in short fiction, I'm hoping will be attractive to the people who attend Comic-Con because they're buying comic books, they're buying graphic novels, they're keeping their content short. They might like a nice little novella that's meant to be meant to be read in a, a one-hour sitting. It's a lot like reading a television episode. This would make a good television series. Six parts, uh, you know, Netflix, are you listening? Yeah. And I've been teasing it out with a death as good as the death of Spock. You know, you said that, and I'm going, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> that's 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 big talk, but it is. Having read it, oh yeah, it it, it has that that punch. Thank you. I, I'm trying not to one cry or two spoil anything. It was it was. A, we won't tell you which character either, but um, it may or may not be who you expect. It may or may not be who you expect if you read through the series. But again, there are six adventures. When I got to number four. I just remember um, a movie I love, which is Shakespeare in Love. And I saw that one. I loved that. I loved, I loved that. I adored it. And there was a moment when the Shakespeare character realizes his lovers just can't end up together. They just, it's, it's just too much stress on their relationship. And um, uh, my, uh, my guy in uh, Raven's Daughter is a former military captain with a rather tragic battle past. And uh, uh, and it's funny enough is I kind of describe their relationship, my girl and my guy, as sort of a, a workplace romance. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. some workplace, but you're not wrong. Yeah, it's <laughs> they they both work for the King of Shadows and the Raven Queen. He's with the king, she's with the queen. And you yeah, know, never date inside the company. You That's... never date inside the company. Oh my god. He is older than she is, but when you boil it down, apart from the monsters and the sword play and the magic you basically got an older employee who wants to leave the firm and, a, and the new hire, the girl, who is just discovering her, her new life. And they're just not in the same headspace. And um, if, if, if they had left the story happily together, so there's a little bit of a spoiler, they don't exactly do that, their relationship probably wouldn't have lasted more than five years. You know, I mean, they love fighting together, but then what have we got? She'd have pushed him down a well. She, <laughs> she might have pushed him down a well. He might have gotten demanding. I don't know if 
they would be getting drunk together. I mean, she's a former tavern mistress, but uh, so it was, you know, it's, it's sweet for the arc, but um, there has to be uh, uh, something that, that packs a good punch at the end. Well, there's a lot of cosplay uh, potential here. You're talking about uh, Alarise and her black scale mail. Now I want to start making black scale mail, but... I actually have an official armor, Mythica Magic Works. Mythica oh, my Metal gosh. Works, yeah. Oh. Um, uh, they're my uh, neighbor vendor at the Southern Cal Renaissance Festival. Ah. So they sit and make scale mail and chain mail at, all day at, at the uh, at the Ren Fair. So, yep, um, there's that. And then... Um, Odwin is a fun character. Uh, I, I like to think of Odwin's hair like David Bowie in The Labyrinth mm. with that spiky but the long bit at the back. Except Odwin has little bursts of color. Whether presenting as a male or a female, Odwin has little bursts of color all in his white hair or her white hair, ice blue eyes, and then always in the, in the pastel colors, um, in, the, in the lavender and the, uh, uh, the light turquoise and the iridescence. Um, that's just who Odwin is. Odwin is the herald of the Ether Realm and uh, quite a flashy character. And not really of our realm at all. Uh, he, and, and the visual appearance uh, emphasizes that. He can never quite become fully solid here. And when, when she's riding along with Alarice, uh, I guess it's the third book, um, you know, they're riding along and, and you know, I, I, does, why doesn't anybody twig to her being odd? <laughs> well, uh, it, when, we're, when we're riding along, I gave uh, Alarise a beautiful black fell pony. Now, a fell pony looks very like a Frisian. And, of course... That's some pony. <laughs> well, if you, if you look it up, fell pony. Um, uh, Frisian, of course, is... I, I took some inspiration from the movie Lady Hawk. Uh, Etienne Navarre's character. That's Rutger, uh, Etienne Navarre is the character. Rutger Howard's character. And, of course, he's got that big, black Frisian named Goliath. Yeah, but those are not ponies. <laughs> no, but a fell pony looks like a Frisian, only only smaller, because it's in the pony class. Ah. Um, and so Alarise is riding this beautiful black horse, and then Odwin's riding next to her on a realm pony, which really isn't a, an animal at all. It's more of a spirit, and it's all iridescent with an opalescent mane and tail, and is prancing along uh, in the air. And I, I, I like to imagine it bobbing up and down like a carousel horse. <laughs> but I can't use the word carousel horse because carousels don't exist in my world. You've got to keep it true to the world. But, uh, yeah, they're just, they're just prancing along together uh, along a ridge at the beginning of uh, book number three, adventure number three. Of course, the problem with cosplaying Odwin is you can't do the quick change the way Odwin can. I would love to see, I, I tell you, a fantasy of mine is two people. One is choosing on, one is the male, and one is the female. They're walking together at a, at a con, and that would just be freaking hilarious. You know you've made it when, when they cosplay your characters. When they cosplay your characters. But uh, my guy, Creston, um, you know, he's, uh, Kiefer Sutherland would be perfect if this ever got over to streaming. <laughs> He's not getting yeah, younger, I can see that. that. He could be growing into it, really, at this point. Well, I always like to say Kiefer Sutherland has already played my character when he did Athos in The Three Musketeers in the 90s. It's the exact same character. Okay. A man who has yeah. failed in life, in a way, and ran away and joined the army and found comrades in the army. 
um, Athos. Except Creston's lost his comrades, and that's why he's in the position that's, he's in. Yeah, his, his regiment got completely screwed over and, uh, and uh, slaughtered. And yeah, that's exactly why he's in the position he's in. Um, but otherwise, they are men who have lost a great deal and made some stupid mistakes. Um, uh, but um, I think he'd be perfect. But my uh, King of Shadows and my Raven Queen are really neat <clears throat> characters in and of themselves. I did the king all styled in smoky crystals. He's got these pauldrons uh, where the crystals spike out of the shoulders. And he's got a crystalline crown. And usually you say crystals for the girls. But um, that's not the way I chose to do it. And so we are talking about my novella series, Tales of the Raven's Daughter. Come on in and listen to some fun visuals. Uh, again, we're here broadcasting live from Lost Con. And uh, Lost Con 48, I think we're here yes, at Lost we Con 48. Uh, my Raven Queen is um, all styled in um, a feathered gown. She's got, um, I, I borrowed a little bit from Winnowill from ElfQuest mm-hmm. uh, with a long black hair that goes all the way down. Uh, very uh, pale and willowy. Uh, but yes, the, the fun thing is that they do not have a very good relationship. And that means if they fight, their champions have to fight, regardless of whether their champions happen to be in a relationship or not. Sorry, fate takes over, you know. And um, But um, transitioning on to other elements of the Basque mythology, um, there's a father god of fire and a mother goddess of water wind in Basque mythology. And that, that also uh, speaks to the duality. So I've got my god and goddess below, and now I've got a god and goddess above. That could make for some steamy scenes. That I was. In could, fact, you get, could you get her? Mom? Yeah, I'll get it. In fact, I had um, I had my my guy Creston say that must be one heck of a double date. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't exactly phrase it that way, but it's the same kind of thing. That must be a very fun, you know, four way. Um, so um, what I did uh, is, um, as is typical, uh, I think, of many writers who do this, we just alter the names to protect the innocent. <laughs> so in Bass mythology, the father god of fire is Sugar, S-U-G-A-A-R. I just changed one consonant and made him Sukar. If you changed one vowel, he would have been a cigar. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Well, he is smoking hot. Yow! Ah, uh, there we go again. See, I can see Gene's evil There's mind. There, just the, the rim shots are just coming fast and <laughs> Yeah, right. So what is it like to be a servant of a god of fire? So in my fourth story, which is called Rips in the Ether, my fourth, my fourth story is just good old-fashioned gods and monsters. And um, I had to write at least one adventure that was like that, because I'm an action writer. And I have this sorceress whose name is Alia, and she is she, her left breast has been completely burnt off because she is a servant of the Father God of Fire, and when he blessed her with his power, that's where he kissed her. So it was a definite dom-lover relationship. Burnt her breast off completely. She has this really pronounced scar that runs from the neck all the way down to the side of her body. And when she conjures her flame, it glows like embers. 
at, at, at the end of a, a fire pit, and she wears these one-breasted gowns, and um, and that's uh, I, I just think that that's such a fun visual for uh, for that particular type of relationship. I had I had a a teacher, a mentor, a, a matron who had was a breast cancer survivor and, and mastectomy and the next convention she she went as as the queen of the Amazons in a there we go. legendarily correct manner and and nobody nobody chose to correct her or make her cover up the scar. And she teamed up with another person at the con who had the same idea, apparently. So it was Beth Moberly with Joni Winston, and they were they were Amazon queens, and 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 her defender, and and they won the masquerade. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's if we're ever fortunate this series to be picked up by streaming, which I'm hoping with all the exposure I'm going to be doing at Comic Cons that I can you know get some attention that way. I would love it if they cast an actress who was either a breast cancer survivor or a strong um, supporter of, of the whole breast cancer research, breast cancer movement, to play that um, actress. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. Well, you seem to have the right frame of mind uh, for getting this thing actually accomplished. Uh, um, Fitz, Fitzpatrick? What's his name? The guy, the guy who did the... Um, Brian Fitzpatrick, uh, the author of the Mechcraft novels, started out pretty much where you are and uh, has ended up with um, some production deals. Okay. Well, I'm even working on the official RPG guide. I could, I'd like to see this as a, as a video game, but RPG guides are good. That, you know, gaming books are a great outlet for... Um, you know, storytelling, but also for artists. Uh, there's some beautiful, beautiful art in, in the RPG books. Uh, I was just looking yesterday at, at, at a Star Wars one, and these are people doing Star Wars and space art who never would have had another place to sell these, mm-hmm. these fantastic paintings. And I'd like to see the fantastic paintings that come out of this, this world. Well, I've parts. created such a neat place with the realm. It's a, it's a complete blank canvas. Um, so uh, uh, we have a guest who's uh, come in, so I'll, I'll give you the quick pitch. The girl dies in the first three scenes and discovers she is a realm walker. She can walk between the world below and the world above. And I chose the realm uh, because it's new, and there are magenta landscapes and mead halls and a field of little flowers that, that glow uh, in little patterns the way birds fly. Uh, a flock of birds will flux in the air so so swiftly. How do they know which way they're all going together? That's the way the f- uh, flowers glow. And interestingly enough, I took inspiration from that. In Los Angeles, we have uh, an arboretum called the Descanso Gardens. Ooh. And at Christmas time, they do a nighttime walk in the Descanso Gardens. So they've lit up different areas of the gardens in all sorts of great ways that you can have fun with. And in one particular area that's just normally a lawn, they planted, they put down these LED tulips. And so it's this field of LED tulips that is on uh, a computer uh, program so that they're all glowing in different patterns and in different colors. Wow. And I, I put that in, in my realm. And then um, 
Uh, I think uh, Jean, someone's trying to get your attention there. You look good. And then um, my uh, King of Shadows is clearly the absolute dick of this series. He is wicked. Uh, can I say uh, that? Do you need to bleep no, that out no. later on? He is he is yes. just an absolute jerk. So um, at one point I have him walking through that beautiful field of glowing flowers. And then he sucks up all the glow to form up a monster and kills all the flowers. And they're all wilted. He crunches them underfoot. He's such yeah. a jerk. Yeah, that's yeah, we're supposed to hate him, and that's why. Yeah, well, you got to have at least. I'm really good at writing dickish characters. Again, oh, but they're more yeah. fun, aren't they? Everybody loves a villain. Again, I don't know if you have to bleep that, but you got to you got to have someone who's an absolute jerk, and I and I do have I have created that. A mini poopoo head. The, it strikes me that uh, that going to all those conventions and doing all this promotion is not an inexpensive proposition. That is true. Um, I'm uh, if if all I, I have no idea if my marketing idea will work, but I need a book tour, and this is going to be the best place to do it. And as I was um, uh, uh, mentioning earlier. One thing that's absolutely fantastic about all the Comic-Cons, and we think of the big one in San Diego, of course, <clears throat> but there are four companies that are producing the majority of the shows. And uh, the big one, of course, is San Diego, but uh, uh, next weekend I'll be at the L.A. Comic-Con at the L.A. Convention Center. Um, and then the company that does Fan Expo in Denver does a circuit of shows. And the company that does the New York Comic-Con, that's the biggest one, uh, that one will see 250,000 people. They do a circuit of shows. And then Fan X in Salt Lake City does a circuit of shows. And yes, it costs money for the table and money for the airfare and money for the, um, uh, the hotel room. But I don't have to pay the full price of a booth on the main floor. They support small indie authors like me by offering us a table at a reasonable rate. So Comic-Con International, where a booth is $4,000, in the small press pavilion, where I was accepted, um, uh, is only 650 bucks. So I just poured down enough books and hope that everyone really enjoys and wants to um, pick them up. And, uh, and if nothing else, at least I should be able to break even. Hopefully I'll be able to pay the mortgage. And, you know, it's a tax deduction. <laughs> It is that, and then there's my book tour. So I'm yeah. hopefully paying for my own book tour. But these are all trade shows, too. <clears throat> I mean, you need to contact the people who will buy these books. I mean, buy the rights to these books and publish these books in a, on a larger scale. That's where I will attract attention. But um, my marketing idea was, um, as I mentioned a couple times, is to follow in the footsteps of The Witcher which began as a series of short stories. And then once it got picked up for the video game, um, it, was, it was pretty well solidified. My demo, though, my demographic are 20-something um, female and then LGBTQ+, because of my wonderful gender-fluid character named Odwin. And um, they aren't playing first-person shooters so much. They aren't playing whack and hack them. They're playing more building games. So someone wanted me to do Minecraft for Tales of the Raven's Daughter, which I thought would be uh, hilarious to uh -huh. do some of these characters. In uh, Adventure 3 uh, uh, is The Wizard in the Wild. And if you, uh, for any of us in Southern California, there's a tiny little Renaissance festival in Escondido. Um, 
I mean, it, it just ran. It runs in spring. It runs in fall. Escondido Fair is awesome. The Escondido <laughs> Renaissance Fair, and there is a group there, the Wild Collective, and they spell it properly: W I L D. And they paint themselves ash and black, and they're led by uh, a queen. Uh, her name is um, uh, uh, Jamie. Is her name? Uh, she's chosen D and D characters uh, for her character name. Um, I I shortened it to Queen Takeza and very blonde and they do this thing called fight for the bone where it's literally they have this big bone and two of them are wrestling for it and then whoever ends up with the bone is the winner of that particular contest i had to put those guys into a story i was going to ask if any of these were based on real people you just the, went you just jumped right right ahead. the wizard in the wild and actually the wizard in there is my late husband paul and i Aww. made him into a uh, character paulden and uh, my husband was quite pedantic. Um, oh my God, he would talk your ear off. He knew everything. He could have broken the bank on Jeopardy. Um, uh, but so, and so I made that character rather loquacious to the point where you're like, stop talking and just tell me what to do. Cut it out. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and then, and you juxtapose that against Queen Takeza, who's the leader of a group of barbarians. But funny enough, both of those characters are romantics. They both they both have lost loves. And when my girl, uh, Alarise, has to knock their heads together, which she does, and she was a former tavern mistress, she was good at knocking heads together when the time arose, she pointed that out. In fact, that's how she got them to a little confab. She steals the wizard's rose that was given to him by the sorceress, and she steals the queen's sword, who was given to her by a king, and say, got your prized possessions. Now sit down, shut up, and listen to me. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> thievery. Thievery works. But hitting at their soft spot. Hitting at their Achilles heel. And this uh, is, Alarise is really intuitive, and she just knows how to get the job done. And this is one of the things I, that I really love about the series, is that, that the characters... Ha, are so nuanced, and uh, their motivate their personal motivations make internal sense, and they feel like real people to me. I mean, uh, uh, and and that's really important if you're writing in a short form uh, format, because you have to hit the ground running, you really and do. you the characters have to be engaging from page one. It's t- uh, it's it's a it's a tricky discipline. Um, also, um, uh, I like to throw in things that other people aren't doing. In Adventure 2, which is called The Thief of Souls, I did a whole clan of, of forest fawns. Because I, I, I see fawn characters walking around the Renaissance Fair all the time. Mm-hmm. But I, I just don't... I mean, I'm sure that there are more people who are better read than I am. But I can't think of a fantasy adventure example of fawns. Not as such. You'll see. You'll see like Herm the Hunter and, and guys wearing antlers, but they don't really have a story behind them. Um, uh, Percy Jackson, the Percy Jackson series has a fawn character in it. A fawn character, yeah. I got a whole clan of them. Yeah. So, yeah well, these are deer people, not goat people. I was about to say Mister Tumnus. Well, they're capri- not, they're that's capriform, like but. Yeah, Mr. Tumnus, perhaps. But that's, he was a goat person, not, he was a, a, goat, not a deer person. Right. Yeah, typically the word fawn is associated with goat, but I, I chose the deer. And um, I, I, I thought it would just be kind of fun. They're, they're, they're simple creatures. They're not stupid by any means. But they're, they're simple. And so the 
females, all their names all end in a doe, and the males end in a buck. Well, so it's, it's gendered first names, like you know most Romance languages have, but their language is the language of deer. Doe so and buck, right? So the character my girl meets is a female fawn named Lalado. The uh, shaman is Sherido, and the leader of the clan is Ketabuk. And if I needed to name more characters, I'd keep going on there. But they're interesting. They like wearing jewelry and their antlers. Um, uh, they're fashionable for. They're not. You know, they don't go stealing really loud clothing from humans because they get noticed. But uh, they live in the forest. They like to keep it simple. But I also gave Lalado a heck of a good crossbow. And um, and someone pointed out it's really interesting when a character that might be considered prey becomes the predator, and she is brief and to the point. And uh, and um, uh, my two main characters, my guy and my girl, are in their clan. They're having a big, you know, cauldron of soup, which I'm sure the the fawns are really enjoying. It's my girl notes that it really needed salt. Yeah. <laughs> You think that you know they'd, they'd be into a salt lake, but uh, yeah, right. But I guess they didn't have any salt in the forest to put in their in their big soup. I love it that Lala Doe was always licking her nose, and you know, big. She's got the big black eyes. She's got the big black nose and the tongue. She's always just licking her nose. And a friend of mine who has livestock. Yeah, you ever watch a ruminant? You ever watch cows? They're always licking their nose. So I I think that's a fun visual to throw in there. So they're all about the accessories and the nose licking. Yeah, well, you know, hey, that makes them real. It, it, it makes them quite real. It's, it's a fun thing to do. But I'm not afraid to go into dark psych uh, because this is me. And um, in my long fiction, my editor, uh, Pat Labruto, formerly of Doubleday Books, uh, compared me to Hitchcock on Phil K. Dick's drugs. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> It is scary. That's that fun. was one heck of a compliment. My uh, long fiction, I'm in the uh, exhibit hall if you want to pop on over later. And uh, everybody, again, on uh, sci-fi.radio, it's erinradoauthor.com. My long fiction is uh, Grey Warrior, and boy, can I get a little dark there. But in, uh, I have six adventures in Tales of the Raven's Daughter, and number five goes into the dark psych backstory because to our guests who have joined us, I will give you a death as powerful as the death of Spock. You know, she when said that, I'm going, oh, come on. Uh, I got there, and uh, it kind of was. Uh, I pull it off. I do pull it. It's a very, very powerful death. But you got to set that up with some good dark psych. Because... Otherwise, it's not important. Nobody cares. Otherwise, everyone says, wait a minute, why couldn't it have ended without the death? You yeah, have, it had to be there. It, it, had, it just had to go that way. Yeah. And uh, other, I, I can't leave my readers saying, oh, come on, it could have gone this way. I want everybody getting to the same place I got to, yeah? Well, That's just the way it had I to be. I believe it was Lois McMaster Bujold who, you know, who, who gives the secret, of, secret to success in fiction is figure out what's the worst possible thing you can do to your character and then do it. Yeah. Problem was, I could think of worse things to do her. To her characters than she did. I don't have that's, any. Uh, that's another panel. <laughs> I don't have any oh, torture sequence. Well, I do have a little bit of torture. Oh, you yeah, like like the the, the the king didn't didn't torture Creston. Creston, my guy. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do do torture in this, just not physical. Good. Tor- the best torture is. Yeah. Well, okay. I take it back. Yes, because 
That's the Phil K. Dick coming through. <laughs> That's me channeling him <laughs> on his drugs. But otherwise, it's an action series. I'm an action writer. I like to keep it brisk. I like to keep it solid. And it's meant to be read in a sitting. Each one's about an hour read. And so, so if you've got a week to lie on the beach, you know, you've got all your, your reading lined up right there. Yeah, and um, it's like reading a television episode. There's six adventures in the story, and they form an overall arc. You know, Netflix, Apple Plus, are you listening? Well, I, I based it off Moon Knight on Disney Plus, which well, is Well, that's nice the same story. format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, six episodes. Um, I was going to do seven originally, but four and five just melded together when I was doing the outlining. Okay. And six was the magic number. I am also noodling on a second collection. Uh, so yeah, Susan's oh, eyes just okay. got really white. My eyebrows just went she, straight up. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, uh, I want my girl, uh, my girl uh, starts on a, it's typical journey of self-discovery kind of stuff as she's, you know, uh, uh, getting good at her job. But as the King of Shadows notes, uh, uh, again, I took Oberon and Titania and made them into the rulers of the underworld the King of Shadows and the Raven Queen. He's much more of the ego, she's much more of the id. They both see potential in my girl, which is why they both want her as their champion. She's a natural born realm walker. She dies in the first three scenes. That's how we find out that she's a realm walker. And um, she, she denies the fact that she's a little prideful in the beginning, because she just died, and she doesn't exactly feel strong and prideful at the moment. But as you get to the end, she's starting to feel her strength. And she's a little prideful at the end, Well, I, think. I mean, is it arrogant if you really are all that? She's all, she's all she that a bag of chips, but she tries not to act like it. I'd like her to fall in love at the end of a second collection despite herself. You know, the, the best loves are, are by people who've been broken by it before. Yeah. Oh, these two... Why, when we did our panel yesterday, I said they were about ready to go Lady in the Tramp with a bowl of pasta, like that, <laughs> which I meant as a compliment. Good for you oh, guys. Oh, I absolutely took it that way. Okay. I, th I think having her fall in love at the end of the second series would be a fantastic uh, spike for the... the uh, for the TV the th show. For the third series. It would. You know, because, because falling in love is frequently messy. Well, uh, and of course, this is me on Phil Dick's drugs. Um, the object of a love interest would easily be a spirit from the realm. Now, how do I make that kind of a character corporal? He needs a body. Well, I don't know. Ask Odwin. Odwin is my gender-fluid character who is based on Shakespeare's puck because fantasy needs snarkiness. I just think some fantasy is so darn serious. Come on, snark it up. Uh, where would the Avengers be without Tony Stark? It would just that be boring. It, that is the difference. Uh, uh, like, for example, the difference, now that you bring it up, the difference between the DC universe and the Marvel universe is that the Marvel universe has a sense of humor. Yes. It has, it has a wonderful Starkiness. Here, have a raccoon with a tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, making a, a, a spirit corporal uh, I, I posted this one on Facebook. I can only think of a few ways. One, necromancy. 
you got a body that's on the way out. Oh, putting the romance and necromancy. Yeah, there you go. Right? Yeah. Uh, two is possession. Uh, take yeah, over. That's rude. It's, just... it's rude, and I just can't see my girl going for a guy who possesses a body just to be with her. She's got this cough, old... cough, Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, cough. right. Yeah, yeah. That that device didn't work. That was icky. Yeah, I, I could have. Yeah, anyway. Um, and then um, the other way is to uh, accelerate the growth of a baby. Um, you need so, some time travel for that, so they're old enough to be. No, when, not when you have gods and goddesses in a, in a in a world. Yeah, this is fantasy. It's magic. Yeah, it yeah. can happen. I'm sorry, the pediatrician has just given us permission to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so now, okay, so there are ways to get that spirit of body. Do I mess up the backstory? Because again, this is me. Um, in my uh, in in this story, we find out that my guy is a military captain, and his regiment, the Crimson Brigade, was completely destroyed from within. They were betrayed by a commanding officer. Well, what if that plays into collection too? So my my guy got revenge on that commanding officer, but there's going to be other people involved in a plot like that. And the commanding officer would have had a family, a wife, kids. I mean, he mm-hmm. might, might have a son of the right age. He might have a son of the right age. Well, I mean, another possibility, if you're going dark fantasy, is you have a flesh cult and you, you transfer the spirit into the flesh golem. Oh, flesh golem. Hmm. You know, like, so you like, build your own, basically. Yeah, Frank, like a Frankenstein. Frankenstein. DIY boyfriend. <laughs> and he's a self-made man for a man-made self. So <laughs> rather than just my girl falling in love, I, I, I'm going to make it complicated. But And then the fourth series is about their kids. <laughs> you got to take do something about your kids. It just gives Marty. us a neat... Do <laughs> <laughs> something about your kids, Marty. Okay, I just registered that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, you could. So, um, because, you know, in, in this series, my girl and my guy do have an age difference. It's, that's not necessarily a problem. When you're immortals, that becomes irrelevant. It, yeah, but um, uh, that's another reason why they don't necessarily end up together. It, they just weren't in the right headspaces for each other. But, um, and also my girl, my girl is a pretty woman who used to run a tavern. You know how many times she's been proposed to? And... And, the, and, and, and she grew up, uh, her, her father was a military guy. He died in combat. Excuse me, died in combat. Not the and, same combat, though. No, this, no he, he, he's, he was an infantryman. He died in a battle. Uh, so she went to go live with Uncle Judd, um, uh, who, by the way, if you go into the exhibit hall, the money changers, Judd is actually there today. That's not my Uncle Judd, but I did borrow his name. Yeah. And um, uh, John, who wears the beanie, Cap. John Hertz. John Hertz. Sorry, couldn't get his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays at Renaissance Fair. He plays Lord Binden. And I, I haven't told him this yet, so I'm hoping I remember <laughs> him today. But Alarice, my girl, her last name is Linden. So oh. I did name, I did name uh, my girl after John's character. Uh, uh, the B just didn't work, so I changed the consonant. When in doubt, change a vowel. When in doubt, change a consonant. 
Um, but um, uh, she always has her barriers up because her her uncle and aunt had been throwing suitors at her. She grew up with four male cousins. They kept trying to fix her up. So it would be fun to have her fall in love despite herself. And she could easily strike up a relationship with a spirit character in another collection because that's a safe romance, right? It can never happen. He's not real. Until the very last moment of the very last book. And then she would have to decide right mm, then and there whether to yeah. say yes or no. That's, a, that's then, I, then, then you start getting kind of a reverse reverse on the, the loathly lady. It has to be her choice. And, and what if she can't help herself? Yeah. See, that's the kind of arc I build up to. So when I say a death as powerful as the death of Spock in the first series, this is how I build that arc. Brick by brick by brick, and then just punch it right at the end. And yes, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, Make Mine a Realm Brew, because we've got Realm Brew in here, and it's about time fantasy had the equivalent of Romulan Ale. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we got to start brewing, doing brewing experiments. Doing brewing experiments. I think mead, because you, you... Okay, we'll work on the mead. We've, you know, we'll talk to Mark Poliner and, and my teacher, uh, uh, Tim Coyle, and we'll work something up. Well, you know, give us some other flavor notes. Maybe we'll have it at the next Herbangelist uh, wine and cheese. I can realm brew. Apple, perhaps. Hmm? And apple, perhaps. Well, I, yeah, I do a pretty good sizer. Mm. But, uh, you know. Did you have something else, Gene? No, I just... Uh, Who's throwing in the apple thing? Yeah, I, and I was just thinking, uh, you know, uh, the... the what would... The, what, ca- what the catchphrase wild... for it... Hmm? Make mine a well a realm brew. It's green. No, it's no. it's not green. It's it's not. Uh, uh, Don't make me Andorian. make it green. <laughs> it's not Andorian Scotch. Well, I just think fantasy needs a signature drink. Yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons I put it in. A signature drink strong enough to write your name in. Well, I didn't really realize it as I was outlining the series, but I put a drinking scene in each one of these things. She's a tavern, and and that's her. Well, that's going to be where her attention is. Yeah, it's whether it's a private moment or whether it's in a tavern because it's fantasy. You've got a tavern in there somewhere. But um, my friend said, "Oh, we've got to get an online drinking game going." I thought, "Yeah." Yeah, every time Kristen shouts, Alarise, take a drink. <laughs> no, every time... Gotcha! Every time Alarise says, something is not right here. And yeah, Take a drink. Take a drink. Because even in the last uh, story, she says, wait a minute, this isn't right. And Kristen actually says, if only I had a gold coin for every time I've heard you say that. And every time Odwin changes... Genders take two drinks. Oh, one for each. You'd you'd be subway. I know, I know. It'd be, you'd be that's a tonic and a yeah. I was about to say that's heartbeat. that's a, a direct, direct could, line to alcohol poison. How could Puck not be LGBTQ? So my character Odwin, and when I came up with the name Odwin, it just popped right in my head, and I knew it was just right. I was so worried though that the community might think I was calling them odd. But odd is, is, in the context, odd is magical. Odd is something beyond... It still could be considered pejorative. Why did you not use the they um, pronoun? I'll do do that one in just a a second. But um, I thought, let's have Odwin own it. So Alarise wakes up in the the realm. She's just been murdered. 
um, and uh, wakes up to Odwin tapping her. Hello, wake up, little flesh pot. Just keeps tapping her on the forehead. <laughs> Would you please stop that? Oh, it can talk. And it has manners, wake up. And that's the kind of character Odwin is. So she's being a little defensive right now because how would you be if you just died? And says, Odwin, huh? That's, that's not short for odd one. And Odwin says, excuse me, what's wrong with being odd? I would rather be odd than anything else. And anyone who thinks differently is a, what's the word I'm looking for? How about a dead mortal? Now leave your body where it is. Ooh, it's not going ouch. anywhere. King and queen want to see you. Um, and later on, she apologizes. She said, I'm sorry I called you odd. I told you I like being odd. You know, but I said it in a bad way, and I, I didn't mean that. And they have a really interesting relationship, my girl, uh, Alaris and Odwin. When Odwin is a teen male, he's much more snarky. But as a, a maiden, and, and the, the switch happens a lot. It just, she, uh, the character's very gender fluid, and this will go back to the pronouns in a second. Odwin will present as a teen male and then turn into a maiden, just a blow you a kiss, and right back into a guy to crack a joke. And as uh, he's helping Alarise get into her new armor, she accepts the, cha- the, the charge of the Raven Queen, she's getting her into her black scale mill, and is constantly switching back and forth. And um, Alarise says, Od- Odwin, why do you keep doing that? Doing what? Changing hairstyles. And um, he says, do I have to explain myself to you? Well, it's confusing. And she says, to you, it's confusing to you. But perhaps (laughs) that's because when you look at me, you're expecting to see something. And then right back into a guy to say, maybe you shouldn't expect to see anything. Just look at me for who I am. Mm. I, I chose not to use the they, them because when Odwin presents one way or the other, it's solid. It's all the way. When Odwin's a boy, Odwin is masculine, very much so. And very soft and a little bit more sagacious, I think, when she's feminine. And when my girl has this a moment with female Odwin, they're, they're kind of become like realm sisters. She grew up with four boys. She's never had a girlfriend in her age bracket. And they have a, a more tender relationship than when she's working with Odwin as uh, as a male. But there is one moment in the uh, in the fifth story when I'm doing the backstory to lead up to that big ending, when it's the female Odwin who's who's tending her. She's just been injured, and not like there are any hospitals in the realm because it's a, a, the world of the spirit. You don't actually have healers down there, but I had to create something restorative, so I came up with this neat mossy um, green rolling hills mm. with these columns with little glitter glows. I can just I visualize that. Like that. See, that's the beauty of the realm. We've been to every single, like I said, dungeon and tavern and town and forest. The underworld gives me this blank canvas. I can put anything in there. And, um, <clears throat> but Odwin um, is very much uh, female or male and and female attending her at that moment, she actually says, could I talk to you as a, <clears throat> as your male self, please? Because you have different advice when you're male and female. Yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. And I kind of miss my cousins right now. And I, I, I'm a little lonely and homesick. And right there, he just switches right over. And now they have, they continue their conversation. 
it, it, it was, he was like, okay, fine. You want to talk to that other side of me? I don't know if you read all the way. Did you read all the way through six? Yeah. Okay, so six, I've got, um, I, I used the Basque mythology pantheon, changed it a little bit. And I've got uh, a god of thunder and a god of lightning. These are two brothers. And uh, thunder. You're noisy, but I'm fast. <laughs> yeah, you're noisy, but I'm fast. And when these two clash, that's when thunder and, and lightning ring out. Um, interestingly enough, I discovered Odwin is completely straight. There's a moment where Odwin, as a guy, just kisses my girl. I mean, and it is a good kiss. And there's a reason for it in the story, but they both enjoyed that very much. But then Odwin discovers the two gods there in disguise, turns right into a girl, and they're tossing him back and forth and giving him kisses and whatnot. So, my, so Odwin is not what we call non-binary. Odwin is entirely binary. Yeah, it's just gender fluid. Yeah. But I was quite surprised to discover as I wrote this, I had no idea where Odwin was going, but Odwin's straight. Just depending on how he twice. or she... Twice. <laughs> just depending on how he or she presents. And so I think that's why I don't use the they so much. Okay, no, that's entire, That's a good answer. Yeah, because that's... Uh, my, my concerns are addressed. Yeah, that's, that's how Odwin sees himself or herself. Okay. But together, it's just expressing the fullness of the personality. And that goes along with the whole duality that I've got in this world. I've got the god and goddess below. I've got the god and goddess above. I've got my girl and my guy. And then Odwin, who's his own girl and guy. There's a yin-yang thing going on here. It's not a straight hierarchical pyramid. It, it very much fluxes from male to female. So I've got the father god of fire. I've got the mother goddess of water, wind. Those are the gods above, etc. It strikes me that it it's almost necessary to have the kind of immersion in in one's in the world that you're writing about that you have in order to make a decent story mm-hmm. and it, it's so many writers including myself uh, struggle with that and and uh, and as a result write unreadable crap you know what they say and then one of one of the wisest teachers I know has said the first million words are practice Hmm. So no. you're just practicing. Mm-hmm. You may sell your practice, and that's great, but it's still only practice. So just lighten up on yourself. <laughs> I always try and uh, let my characters drive it, but they are definitely a product of their world. You can't ignore the world. You have to have strong characters as part of their world. Um, with my other long fiction, I was, again, my editor, Pat Labruda from Doubleday, just in casual conversation at, at Worldcon, said, you know, Aaron, your, your book is probably the most character-driven fantasy novel I've ever read. And that's from a guy with 40 years in the industry. And I said, can I put that on the back cover? Yeah. And he actually gave me permission. He never, he never lets people... Nice. He never does blurbs for books, but he, he let, me, let me do that. So that, sweet. That was, that was very, very sweet. Okay, so how are we doing on time? We're, we're past an hour, so let's, let's let these people have the room back. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, these are my little novellas. Again, um, they're about an hour worth of read time. So uh, the first one, The Beast of Basque, is our journey of discovery. The second one, The Thief of Souls, is a little bit of a whodunit. 
Third one, the wizard in the wild is kind of a puzzle solver. Fourth one, rips in the ether is just plain old gods and monsters. I'm an action writer. Fifth one, mistress of her own game is a little bit of the dark psych backstory. And then the last one, the raven's daughter, that has the big ending. So I'll, I'm that go never back slows down. That's it. Never <laughs> slows down. I'll yeah. keep it going. And then there's it's it is a powerful death, but I don't leave you there. There's a, a wonderful denouement. There's resolution. There's that I think makes it okay. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I thought after after we had our first conversation uh, on Sci-Fi Radio on the Event Horizon that we had discussed pretty much everything there was, and boy, was I wrong. This, this has been a great conversation. What a nice compliment. Thank you, Jean. Thanks for having me, guys. And thank you uh, for showing up in Stumbling Upon. And um, I'm going to go back to the deal room and get some lunch. You have been listening to episode 250 of Sci-Fi.Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for December 3rd, 2022. Our guest today has been Aaron Rado, author of the Tales of the Raven's Daughter series of novellas, available on Amazon.com. This session was recorded live at LostCon 48, held over Thanksgiving weekend of 2022, with hosts Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This episode will air again tomorrow, December 4th, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and on our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-fi.radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. We are asking you to visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and donate 5 or $10 a month to help keep the station on the air. It may not seem like a lot, but if everybody does it, together we can accomplish great things. That's patreon.com slash sci-fi radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by sci-fi illustrator Mark Schermeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2022 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on sci-fi.radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>